take a deep breath and say this with me. Your outer circumstances don't have to determine your inner steadiness. Now take another deep breath. Because that's the message that I wrote to myself on a sticky note recently because I needed it. And if you're here and you clicked to listen to this, maybe you need it too. Because here's the truth. We can't control what happens to us. As much as I would like to say that I can, I can't. But I can control how I respond. And today, my guest Nathan Albert will be talking about some of the practices that can help us stay grounded and connected to God so that we have peace even in all the chaos. And let's face it, our world is pretty much pure chaos at this point. (laughs) At least it feels that way to me most of the time. Um, Welcome everyone to Happy and Holy. This is the podcast about creating biblical community with intimacy and integrity wherever you find yourself in location or in life. I'm your host, Kate Boyd, and I'm so glad you're here to join myself and Nathan in a conversation about contemplative Christianity. Here's a little bit more about Nathan. He is actually a professional actor turned ordained preacher, pastor, podcaster, and author. He has a passion to help people find calm, rekindle their faith, and discover the divine. He holds a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Musical Theater Performance, a Master of Divinity, and a Certificate in Spiritual Transformation, and dreams about getting his Doctor of Ministry someday. He has worked as a pastor, campus minister, pediatric chaplain, and as a director of a nonprofit. Right now, he is the Associate Chaplain in the Spiritual Life Center at the University of Lynchburg. He is also the author of a book, Embracing Love, My Journey to Hugging a Man in His Underwear. He blogs about contemplative spirituality and finding God all around us, and he hosts the podcast, The Why Behind the What. Um, so I hope that you will enjoy this conversation um, and have some go-to practices to try on um, as you look at centering yourself every day. Welcome, Nathan. Thanks so much for joining us on Happy and Holy today. My pleasure. I'm excited. So tell me a little bit about what made you kind of begin your journey into more contemplative practices and contemplative spirituality. Absolutely. I grew up in a Christian household, uh, went off to, you know, it was your average Christian, went off to college to uh, major in musical theater performance, became a professional actor all throughout my life thought, maybe I'll be a pastor one day. And eventually lo and behold, I did was through some crazy events, uh, went into seminary, dropped out of some acting work and kind of entered into seminary, uh, then did some nonprofit work and, uh, worked as a chaplain, moved into uh, pastoral ministry and, it was in this season of, well, about a few years into ministry, I found myself on a regular basis laying under my desk with noise-canceling headphones on, crying, just overwhelmed with being a pastor, overwhelmed with being in ministry, overwhelmed preaching, um, and I was tired. I was worn out. I became pretty critical of church and of Christians. Um, pretty wounded by the the congregants who meant nice, but were actually really mean to you as a pastor. Um, mm-hmm. And so kind of just 
last, uh, basically I found myself one Easter Sunday, you know, the Super Bowl of Sundays, standing in the back of this school that our church had rented out. And I remember having this moment of everyone singing, everyone, you know, celebrating Easter. And I kind of was like, it wasn't an out of a body experience, but it was just this weird, I was watching everyone sing about Jesus and the resurrection and celebrating. And I was totally like numb inside. Mm -hmm. And I remember praying in that moment, God, I need the resurrection. My soul needs a resurrection. And that kind of, that was the start of a journey of pursuing contemplative spiritual practices not because I, I wanted to more because I kind of stumbled upon them. And so, um, through that process started, uh, was a part of a cohort program where we, we spent some time in a monastery every few months. We sat in silence. Uh, we spent a lot of time in solitude. We did practices from Lectio Divina to the examen to fixed our prayer. And that just propelled me on a multiple year journey of trying some of these ancient spiritual practices that actually have been around. Well, not only have they been around forever, but I was either in the church traditions that I had been a part of either taught, eh, those are too Catholic or too traditional or too rote instead of, no, these are actually essential for your well-being. Um, So, and, and I mean, even this theme of your podcast, the being and doing, it became a huge realization that I was doing a lot for God, working long hours and preaching all over the country and doing this work at, you know, for, for youth and children and a church and leading worship and all these, doing all these things. And if I was honest, I was rarely with God like yeah. for my own self, right? Like I read the Bible because I had to preach or I sang worship songs because I needed to fill in for our worship pastor, or I prayed publicly because that's what I did as a pastor. But if I took all that away, I wasn't really doing, I wasn't really with God that much at all. So it was a big shift. um, And it changed everything for me. I mean, it really, the contemplative aspect of Christianity has really healed my soul, um, rekindled faith. Uh, transformed my marriage, I think made me a better dad. Um, still trying. Um, so it's been a it's been a, a really important journey that I've been on and 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 I that I that I see others doing as well. Yeah. I mean I think I think we all sort of hold that tension too of being and doing and and I think we do put a lot of emphasis on the doing from the perspective of like that's supposed to be the evidence of mm-hmm who we are becoming is by what we're doing, but it can also be a way that we mask ourselves from even really working on, on that character piece or becoming, or even staying connected to God. Cause I find myself doing the same thing. I'm very, I'm a very self-sufficient person. And so it's really hard, you know, or even I'm in seminary now. So a lot of the things that I do, Um, you know, I am studying scripture, but it's, I do have to check myself very often, Mm -hmm. um, as to what I'm doing those for and why I'm doing them, you know? And I'm, I mean, my personality type, I'm the achiever on strength finders, a three on the Enneagram, 
Myers-Briggs. I'm, you know, very focused on the to-do lists and, um, and so, and, and even like, I feel like a lot of evangelicalism and a lot of the Protestant Christian tradition does focus on doing you serve the poor, you evangelize, or you do these things for God. Um, so when all that is together and you, you don't take the space to be, um, you're missing out on, on union with God. I think that's, I mean, one practice for me that has really impacted that has been centering prayer, right? Where you sit usually 15, 20 minutes in silence and, you commune with God through that centering prayer, but sitting in silence for 20 minutes feels like I'm doing nothing. It goes against everything in me. That's like, this is worth my time. It doesn't feel that way. It feels like I'm wasting time. It feels like I'm wasting being productive or being able to do something, but it's in those moments where I'm communing with God, where I'm learning to listen for God and where God is doing a work in me simply because I'm being there with God. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it goes against, it, it rubs us the wrong way for sure. Yeah. So that makes me wonder what sort of helped you shift your brain or like, what do you tell yourself? Like when you find yourself feeling like you need to be productive or when those things don't feel productive, like what sort of helped you de-emphasize the productivity side and, and lean into this, even though it doesn't feel like you're doing anything? Hmm. Well, that is a good question. (laughs) I think in some ways, um, it has a, it has shifted. I've taken out, um, when it comes to spiritual practices, I've, done away with certain spiritual practices that maybe I've done for years in order to do some of these other ones. Um, so right, like reading through the Bible every year, that was big in a lot of the traditions I had been a part of. And now I center a lot more on Lexio Divina or just slow reading of certain scripture passages, um, or fixed hour prayer reading through, you know, the, the assigned texts for the week. Um, so it's still in some capacity, it's still, I'm still doing some things, um, but there's not the pressure of doing these things, make me a better Christian. Um, instead it's, I'm trying to learn how to be with God so that God can transform me rather than me trying to work at, um, transforming myself. I'm allowing God to do a work in me. So in some ways it's a, I don't know if there was a shift that happened or made me realize that. Um, but it was, uh, I guess for me, I didn't have anywhere else to go, right? Like the faith that I had learned my whole life, my whole childhood, what I left my successful acting career to go be a pastor, all that. It was like, I, I didn't, I didn't know where else to go. Um, I didn't know what else to do. Um, reading by Bi- the Bible didn't work like it once worked. Praying how I w- had prayed for years, just I felt like it was a waste of my time. Um, so in some ways, it was like if I didn't try this, maybe I would have, you know, maybe I just would have stopped doing anything at all. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but what I feel is I've instead of abandoning faith, 
um, kind of in this deconstruction or however the language you might want to use for that, that I wasn't abandoning faith, that I actually was discovering the expansiveness of my faith. Um, and so I was losing certain things in order to find other aspects of my faith. Yeah. I don't know if that even answered your question, to be <laughs> honest. Now that <laughs> Well, I think what I sort of get out of that is that it was it's a reorientation of the goal of those things, mm. right? Where it's more and I've been thinking about this a lot, especially now when we're seeing a lot of like prosperity gospel and patriotic gospel and mm-hmm. things like that. And we sort of make these acts of righteousness or ways to connect with God as a means to those things instead of as a means to getting God. Right. Like, and, um, and admittedly I have to check myself for that too. I am, I am really good at checking off boxes. Like Mm -hmm. I am fantastic at it. Um, but I have to make sure that my heart is oriented in the right place. So it was sort of like, as you were deconstructing the doing, you're leaning into doing, but you're doing it for a different reason. If that makes sense. And, and that our value doesn't come from our doing. Yes. Right. So my worth. So important. I mean, my worth does not come from how much I succeed at even spiritual practices. My worth comes from God who def- defines my worth regardless. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I totally resonate with that. We often use prayer, scripture reading in order to get God or to get things from God right? Like that is often our prayers are to get things from God. Our reading scripture is to get information about God. And how do we shift that to, we pray in order to get God to be in union with the divine. And how do we read scripture, not for information, but for ancient wisdom that can transform our souls. I mean, that's very different than how much of culture works, right? We read yeah. New York times or our text messages or textbooks. We're reading all that for information. Um, and we, uh, it's really easy to apply that to the Bible then. Oh, I yeah. want to learn about who, what Jesus did um, rather than learning or reading for transformation through those ancient scriptures. Yeah. And I, as we're in one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation too, is because we're in a, I don't know if it's especially chaotic. Maybe it just feels especially chaotic because everything's happening at once. Oh, it's so chaotic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was like, I guess I don't want to like pretend like none of this stuff has ever happened before, but I feel like none of this stuff has ever happened before all at the same time is what it feels like. And so I know that um, I even had to write myself a sticky note this week, but it was just sort of like my outside circumstances and their craziness, like don't have to affect my inner steadiness. Mm. And so I think like um, this, these sort of practices can be helpful in a chaotic time. And so I'm curious if you have found them especially helpful with, it feels like the world is falling apart um, as well. Like have, has that helped ground and, and if so, how so? Absolutely. I think if I look over, I mean, if I look over the years, but if I look specifically, let's say 2020 in a global pandemic and election season and um, protests happening, I have found for me, what seems to work is when I use fixed hour prayer, right? So praying in the morning, lunchtime, maybe after work, maybe before bed, and even using 
Um, I use the divine hours by Phyllis Tickle, but there's, you can use the book of common prayer or hours by hour is another one. Um, but so these, these prayers that you pray, uh, throughout the day that Christians have been praying for a long time and that people all over the world are praying. I found actually when I do that, and also when I do centering prayer every day or some sort of meditation sitting for maybe 10 or 15 minutes that I can feel now that I've done it a while, that I feel a tangible difference in my day um, when I do them. And when I don't do them, my day feels rushed. My day feels more stressful. Even if I have less to do for work or at home, I just feel more hurried and rushed and kind of chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found these practices, honestly, to, to center myself and to give me, I mean, fix our prayer, right? Praying in the morning and afternoon and evening, that that just stops what I'm doing to say, hey, no, stop with the email, stop with that task and just center on God for three minutes, pray that prayer or 15 minutes of your day you know, send it, spend it in silence. Um, so I felt a tangible difference where I feel less anxious and less stressed when I do those practices. And when I don't, I, you know, I feel the day is busier. The, the day is more wild. Um, I felt, you know, when I first kind of really discovered Sabbath in seminary, I remember having, I mean, working seven days a week on homework and then working a job and then being in an internship and it was go, go, go. Um, and I was challenged by a spiritual director to take Sundays off. And I eventually did that. And then I was able to take Saturdays off and I was able to get everything done that I needed to get done Monday through Friday. Um, and had two full days where I wasn't doing work. I wasn't doing any academic work studying and that it really changed the rhythm of my week. So, you know, I think a lot of these practices do that. Um, and we have to give them the time and to allow them to marinate and to do a, do a work in us uh, and then retrospectively be able to look back and see, oh, yeah, I used to be when this would happen, I used to act this way and I'm not doing that anymore. I used to think like this and I don't, I don't see that pattern as much. Yeah, I think that's good perspective because it's not a Band-Aid. Like it's mm-hmm. not going to stop something right, right. away. It, just like everything I feel like in the Christian life, it all sort of, it's progressive. It takes time. It's got to, you've got to let the work do the work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So if someone is just getting started with things, I think we're all pretty familiar with, you know, the idea of a quiet time or something, Mm -hmm. but where would you suggest that people really start with some of these practices or what are some of the ones that you would kick off with? Yeah. For me, the quiet time never worked. And I always felt guilty about it, right? Like yeah. getting up at 6 a.m. to read my Bible and pray. I'm a horrible human at that hour. Like seriously, my wife and my boys, they know it. Like they leave me alone when I'm up that early. And I need like, I, I kind of feel like Jesus is okay with me. Like, hey, Nathan, go have some coffee and come back yeah. later. I'll, I'll still be here. Um, so that never worked for me. And I, and I always felt guilty about that. Um, and so where I've kind of how I stumbled into a handful of these that probably the most, uh, impactful ones for me have been the, the, either the Jesus prayer or the breath prayer, Mm. right? So tying your, your prayer to your breathing, um, you know, that, that started with the Jesus prayer in like the third century 
or fifth century with a bunch of Eastern Orthodox monks um, who did the prayer from the gospels, Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And they connected that to their breath, right? So you breathe in Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, and you exhale, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that answered the question of, well, in first Thessalonians, how do you pray without ceasing? And so they realized, you know, you could pray without ceasing because you breathe without ceasing. And so that I started with that prayer. Um, Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, but that has evolved over time. I've written my own. Um, I think one, especially during this pandemic season has been God of peace and love cast out my fear and anxiety. So I breathe in Mm -hmm. God of peace and love cast out my fear and anxiety. And for me, without fail, doing that five times, 10 times, taking a minute to do that, that has a hundred percent success rate at calming my nerves and anxiety at, um, kind of when, when I'm stressed or just swirling around, like, oh, I got too much to do. It, it can just anchor me and center me. And it's something I can do at all times, no matter what, I, what else I'm doing, right? Like I can be praying and breathing and yet also mowing the lawn or talking to someone else. Um, yeah. So that's been a practice that has really connected with me and, and especially with a breathing prayer, right? There's so much in scripture that connects it to God, right? That you hear God is as close to us as our very breath. Well, mm-hmm. you know, Ruach in the old Testament in the, the spirit hovering over creation and Numa, right? The spirit in the new Testament in Greek Numa, that both of those mean spirit, but then also both of those are translated breath. And so there's some connection, right? Mystical way that our spirit and our, this, the spirit and, and our breath are somehow connected. And that even the name for God, Yahweh, um, some believe is like the name, uh, is the sound of breath, but is also the, the name of God, right? So breathing in Yah and exhaling way. Um, so that's been a really powerful one for me. Um, I've mentioned centering prayer that, that I try to do every day. I also do meditation. So there's a, you know, those are both different. There's some similarities between the two, but I think meditation has a little bit more of training your mind and being aware of your body where centering prayer focuses a a little bit more on silence and on a love word or phrase that you think over to draw your attention to God. And then fixed hour prayer has been a big one for me. Um, When I was really burnt out a few years ago, you know, much of my prayer was to get things from God or public prayers at church. And I was given this book. I think it was, I think it's called hours by hours. It's a short little book of prayers for a week. And they had a compline one. You pray in bed before or in the evening. And I was in bed praying it and I opened it up. I don't know what day of the week it was, maybe Thursday. And I prayed these prayers out loud as my wife was there. And I, I just started like weeping, like weeping through these prayers. And I, it was this moment where I felt like these words that have been around for centuries. My soul was longing to pray and I didn't even know they existed. Yeah. And it was incredibly like uh, just refreshing and so powerful to see that not only have Christians been praying this for years, um, but that, that is what I like. I long for those words, but I didn't have the words for it. Right. Like yeah. I had the desire or the passion but I didn't know there were words for it. 
Um, and so that has been a practice now for a handful of years that I've kept up. Um, yeah, so I think those are, for me have been some of the most impactful ones. I mean, Lexio Divina is also probably in my top five, if you want to make a list, but you know, the way of slowly listening to scripture without fail, I feel like God specifically speaks to me every time I do Alexio Divina. Um, so I feel like for people who are just starting out, um, that, you know, these are practices, these aren't like, um, like these spiritual experiences where you're going to have a high, like if you went to like some like conference where there's worship, right. You like are just pumped up on Jesus and you, you go home and then like three days later, you're, you have like your detox of Jesus. Um, but that these are mystical experiences where as you practice them, the, you will have an encounter with the divine. Um, I, a story about that actually. Can I, do we have time for a story? We love stories. Good. Uh, A few years ago, I met with this spiritual director. His name was Stan and Stan was my spiritual director. Spiritual directors aren't counselors. They're just these like super wise people, right? That just listen to you. And so Stan and I started meeting. I started meeting with him mainly because like all my pastor friends were like, you need a spiritual director. And I was like, yeah, okay. That's what pastors do. And I'm a verbal processor. So I thought I could go to Stan and just vent and it would be well. And he started every session, like, you know, he'd, he'd get into position. He'd sit down and he's like, let's begin with silence. And we'd light a candle and he'd close his eyes and just breathe. And I hated it. I was like, silence. Are you kidding me? I'm here to talk and we got to figure this out. <laughs> we got to talk about Jesus. I got to figure out my life. And so the first, probably the first year, if I barely got to 10 seconds of silence, I was like, yes. And the whole time in silence, I was like thinking, all right, has it been long enough that I can start talking? Slowly over time, I think it, you know, I'd go a little longer, maybe 30 seconds, maybe a minute. And there was one day we were in this office of a church um, and I was in this chair. He was across from me in a chair. There's a table with a candle next to us. And as I sat there, I, with my eyes closed in silence, just a few seconds in, I felt like this physical sensation as if there were arms Mm -hmm. behind me, just wrapping me in a hug. And I even like kind of opened my eyes a little bit just to make sure no one was like pranking (laughs) me. There wasn't like a creeper around you. Like Stan wasn't, yeah, Stan was (laughs) just like, surprise, Um, I needed to hug you. Um, (laughs) So but I felt like this warmth presence just embracing me and I felt it nonstop. And I just, I had this moment like, I don't want to leave this spot. And I really Mm -hmm. felt God say to me in those moments, you know, I just want, I want to embrace you um, and just stay here with me. And I didn't know how long I was in that moment. Um, And finally I had this thought like, I should probably share what's happening with Stan. And after about 45, 50 minutes I didn't know until the end, but about 45, 50 minutes after just sitting in silence, I finally said, Stan, I got to tell you what I, what I just experienced. And I shared with him and then we only met for an hour. So, you know, 10 minute reflection. And he was like, that's beautiful. Um, but it was this moment where like out of the blue, right? Like where silence was something I hated. I didn't want that practicing it over and over, even after a couple of years that there was this 
pretty profound experience that came years later. Um, and so I feel sometimes with some of these spiritual practices that that often happens, right? Like we sit in silence or we do centering prayer or we're doing a breath prayer and it becomes, we try to make it a habit or we just do it every day. We notice some differences, but then every once in a while, there's like this, right? There are these liminal spaces where God is a lot closer than we realize. And we, and we finally get a glimpse of that. Um, so yeah, that's what I think some of the powerful, um, how powerful some of these practices can be and you get better at them because they're practices, right? Just like rehearsals or, you know, anything like that. Yeah. I mean, that was going to be one of my next questions is, you know, um, what are, what's some advice maybe for when you're starting these that sort of help you maybe keep from distraction or on the other hand, keep from guilt when you can't always do them. You know what I mean? I think to keep from distractions, I mean, being in a place where you won't be interrupted or turning off your phone, um, turning off your computer. If you are at your desk, turning, even just turning directions, right? Like there's sometimes Mm -hmm. where I'll be at my desk and just move in my office and just moving 90 degrees in my chair allows me not to know, like not to feel like the screen is, yeah, Yeah. it was right there. Um, to, you know, I, I think the, when it comes to the guilt of should I be doing these things or how often, um, I feel like that's ingrained in a lot of evangelical circles, this guilt of you've got to do these things. Um, But God is gracious and waits for us. Um, There's this passage in Isaiah um, that in returning and rest, you shall be saved. And the Lord um, waits to be gracious to you. Mm -hmm. And so I think with spiritual practices, God is waiting to be gracious to us. So that doesn't mean if we do it every day uh, or don't do it every day, or it's once a month, the Lord waits to be gracious to us. Um, And when we experience graciousness from, from God, um, it's, it's always worth the wait. Um, It's always worth it. So I think, you know, in returning in, you know, these practices that you, you keep doing, um, that, that eventually they will, you know, there will be an encounter. When I, when I worked as an actor, I was in uh, Twelfth Night, which is by William Shakespeare. And I was at this regional theater in Tennessee, real small town, small theater. And I remember I wasn't the main role, um, but Twelfth Night is about like this, uh, these brothers and, and our cast was a little different. different. So it was a, these, a set of twins, uh, male and female. and they get shipwrecked and, you know, they, they don't know one another's alive. And so in this one monologue, this actor, she was describing like the death of her brother. And I was in the back of the theater, way in the back, practicing lines, looking over my script. And I had heard this monologue over and over, right? We were rehearsing, rehearsing for weeks on end. And, you know, I knew this scene and she's doing these words about, um, the death of her brother and however else Shakespeare does great monologues, you know, and something happened where her voice had like this crazy change and it like drew me out of 
distract it like distracted me from my script. And I looked up, excuse me. And she kept going with this monologue and she started weeping through these words, describing the death of her brother and this tragedy of the shipwreck. And she fell to her knees and finished the monologue. And then when she had finished the monologue, she just kept crying. And the director stood up and the whole cast, like we were all spread out, the whole cast just like turned and watched. And she, and then eventually after a few minutes, the director said, are you okay? She said, I am okay. And we moved on. And I feel like sometimes that is what some spiritual practices are like, right? Like you practice these over and over and over. She said that monologue so many times. And at that one moment, like the emotion flowed out of her, the, the truth of those words, like evoked such emotion in her that it came out um, and made this incredible performance. And yet what's crazy is when we actually open the show, that never once happened. She never cried through that monologue ever again. And it was like a treat for all us actors to watch. Like we knew what happened in rehearsal and no one else got to see it. And so sometimes I think that is how these spiritual practices work, that we practice them over and over. And eventually like through that flow or through that, through those actions, like God flows through us and does a work in us that no one else may ever see, but can alter the course of the performance of our lives. Did you enjoy this conversation with Nathan? I certainly hope so. I know that I um, walked away with a couple of things to start adding in to my day, um, and they have not been overwhelming. So that's been really lovely. Um, if you did enjoy this conversation, you can keep up with Nathan at his website, nathanalbert.com. He's on Twitter at Nathan Albert and Instagram at in Albert. Easy enough, right? You can also pick up his book, Embracing Love, My Journey to Hugging a Man in His Underwear. I've included the link down there. And you should definitely check out his podcast, The Why Behind the What. It's good stuff. If you're looking for more advice on how to create and lean on community like your small group or house church to stay grounded right now, I provide reflections and resources um, about community discipleship practices for that very thing with the Couches and Cathedrals newsletter. And you can learn more about that or sign up to get these delivered to you weekly at kateboy.co slash newsletter. As always, come share your ideas questions and takeaways with me over on Instagram. I'm at kateboyd.co over there and I'll see you next time.